I think it should never be permitted to happen again. That is very good. Hello and welcome to the Cricket Podcast with me, Jack Hope, Max. Hello. And Ross. Hello. This week on the Cricket Podcast, we will be talking about England's 30-man test squad for the upcoming tour of the West Indies, or the West Indies coming here. And we've got Shane Dietz, the CEO of Vanuatu Cricket on for an interview. Um, we've got a little update on the 100 and some correspondence. Um, before we start with the whole of the rest of the show, um, boys, cricket is coming back in, what, two weeks? Um, what are you most looking forward to uh, about the return of the great game? I am really looking forward to spending a lot of time travelling with my bag to get to cricket um, and then getting a first baller and being grumpy for the whole day. Okay. Um, why, 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 why? Are you saying that recreational cricket's coming back or just test cricket? Well, test cricket is definitely coming back on the 8th of July, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to most days because I'm going to continue working from home. I'm going to be able to have the test match on all day while sitting there. That's going to be, that's going to be a good use of my time. So I know, we're talking about to... the actual cricket and not the pathetic cricket that I might hopefully be playing recreationally <laughs> what, if the what? ECB allow it, then, then yeah, that's, uh, that's um, one of the big perks of lockdown, isn't it? Homeworking, so, so, test on. But, so both of you are saying you're most looking forward to cricket returning so that you can cheat your employers? No. <laughs> it's on in the background. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like listening to music whilst you work. Yeah, except it's it's visual and um, oh well, look, look, look! I don't pay you, so I've well, you kind of do, but <laughs> that's by the by. <laughs> I've got I've got no problem with that. Um, I I yeah, I don't know. I think I'm looking forward to to it. For um, I don't know if I am looking forward to it. <laughs> to be honest, great. <laughs> Are you not looking um, forward to maybe having some content for a podcast that you? Well, yeah. I mean, in in a sense, yes. Um, I I wonder whether it will be a little bit tedious, though. I don't know if you'd want to be the first cricket team back after lockdown because that's the, imagine what the the blokes who um, who commentate they're sort of they're going to be whittering on about that and uh, yeah, no one's going to be able to spit on the ball. How many times do you reckon in overs twenty five through to eighty? Um, of a, of a ball's lifespan, will people mention that the ball's not doing much? Probably because you didn't spit on it. I was thinking of doing like a COVID nineteen bingo for yeah. cricket. <laughs> we, we, we can maybe produce that, put it on Twitter or something. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it always being on. There's like, is it six tests in seven weeks? I think that's good. It's pretty relentless, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. test cricket's always good as background noise. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I've got some trepidation about, about whether the game will actually be any good. No, even if, the standard, even, even, if, even if the standard's poor, I think <laughs> as long as we're getting like four-day test matches, what I don't want to happen is that we, we either get rolled or we roll the West Indies inside three days. I don't want that. I want attritional cricket all five days if possible. You want as much background noise as possible is what you want. That's what you're saying, yeah, you don't right? want to have yeah. a single working day where you might have to concentrate on what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. No, it's, it's meditation, Max. Watching the test cricket actually frees up the rest of my mind to do better creative work. 
I'm sure there's yeah. a school of thought somewhere that believes that as actual <laughs> truth. Sure. Uh, right. We're, we're, should we um, start thinking about getting on with the rest of the show? I mean, I, I think the only other thing to mention is that, as with last week and the week before, we're really pushing our listener base to, to pass on the podcast, tell people about how good this is. Um, Nothing and... quite beats word of mouth, eh? Exactly. I mean, like, like we've seen growth in the last two weeks, and I, I think that's good. So make sure you tell all your friends how good the cricket podcast is, um, and 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 pass it on. Um, and and there's a big reason why they should listen to not necessarily this show, but definitely next week's show. And we will reveal that somewhere near the end of this one. So if you listen through the next sort of forty-five minutes or so, you you'll get um, you'll be one of the first people in the world to know what's happening next week. Um, and I, I think it's fair to say, boys, it is pretty exciting. I'm excited. What, what did you What did you say the other day? It was probably the most exciting thing ever to happen in your life. <laughs> I mean, it might be, yeah. Um, so that, that will after after the interview with Shane Deeds, um, we will we will reveal what that is. Mm-hmm. Which is a great interview, by the way. So it's all yeah, about yeah. talking about Vanuatu cricket and the blast and how it went. Um, so we're just really looking forward to that. Maybe so, we should drop it randomly somewhere in the middle so that they actually have to listen to the interview. <laughs> uh, um, anyway. no, we're not that. anyway, let's uh, let's have a quick break and then um, we'll start talking around England's thirty-man test squad for the West Indies. Beautiful, all hands from Roy. Off the legs, bread and butter for Johnny Bairstow. Four more. Fifty for Joe Root. He's just ticked along. For a six of the innings. So a few days ago, England revealed the 30 players who will be making up their provisional test squad. Uh, it will be cut down a bit as we get into... Um, heading towards the 8th of July for that all-important first test with the West Indies. Um, but for now, they've named a 30-man squad. There will be a intra-squad friendly um, between players in that team. Uh, I think at the 1st of July, that's supposed to be happening. So, I mean, really, the first thing is to, to go over the names. I, I personally don't think there are any surprises in there. Is there anything that um, that you guys thought stood out from that? I mean, just going back to the intra intra squad game. I think they should televise that. I would, I would watch that. I want them as much <laughs> cricket as possible. It's going to be played at the ground anyway. Just turn the TV cameras on. Mm. Well, look, Sky Sports. So just Sky Sports, Sky Sports cricket is just doing reruns. We've, I've watched as much cricket as I can possibly watch. Put some new stuff on. Yeah. I'm quite happy not to watch that. Like, like I said, I've got some trepidation about the return of cricket, and I don't want to watch the practice match. <laughs> but it could, um, well, like you said, Jack, if there's a lot of commentary issues with you know banging on about the ball and the crowd and etc. etc. Et maybe they can get it out the way in this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was I surprised by any of the players included or not included. Not really. Um, I, I, I think it's a little bit of a shock that 
uh, Jamie Porter wasn't in the 55 and a few old duffers were in the 55. Um, but when it comes down to picking 30 from the 55, it seems like they've gone pretty heavy on the test team. I, I, we did say on last week's podcast when we were talking with uh, Mash and Santoki from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, which, by the way, you should go back and listen to. That's, a good, that's another good show. Um, we did say that we weren't sure Joffre Archer would be in the test team. Yeah. Um, but actually, like obviously, they've decided that he will be. Yeah. Um, and um, I, it seems like we're kind of just going to disregard sort of all the ODI cricket. Is there any, I mean, like there's. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because um, there's sort of talk, isn't there, that we've got, there's obviously the T20 World Cup, which looking like it probably won't happen um, at the end of this year. And then the next big thing really is the England squad that goes to Australia. And I suppose with this 30 man squad, what we've got is an indication of where the ECB and the sort of the team around the squad are putting their priorities. And with the likes of Archer, as we mentioned, Bairstow, Butler, those sorts of players that could, you know, play in both formats. It looks like the impetus really is on that, getting that test squad nailed for, for that series in Australia. And, yeah. you know, it may well be that, you know, they're keeping their ears to the ground and they have had conversations with the ICC and other people who are suggesting that maybe the T20 World Cup is quite unlikely to happen, in which case it, will, it naturally yeah. follows. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Jack. I, I can't, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's my first question down here. We're going to how much um, value do the England setup now care about ODIs? But obviously the World Cup is one. And actually, that has, a, as you were saying, a massive ramification of what's going on here. I mean, just look at some of the players who you'd anticipate being better, more ODI players, including like Moeen Ali, Butler, um, Stokes to a certain extent, but he's in both, isn't he, typically? Joffre, as we've d- talked about. Um, but then you've also got someone like Bairstow. So Bairstow's now coming back into the fray and saying he wants the gloves back in Test cricket. But I don't think he's good enough to play Test cricket now. What do you think about that? Um, right, well, to, to answer the two the, the questions sort of point by point, one, I didn't realise this, but I had a look at the uh, the schedule for the summer. The ODIs aren't against anyone good. Uh, is there like two, Ireland? Is it three against Ireland? Is it, is, are we playing Pakistan as well? Is it three against Pakistan? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so we're not even playing the West Indies in one-day cricket or white ball. We've all white ball cricket. So um, I, I, even in the short term, there's not like probably the England B team could beat Ireland. And they'll have a reasonable chance of beating Pakistan as well, you'd have thought. Um, so I don't, I think that's, that, that explains part of that. Is Bear so good enough to play test cricket? Probably not anymore, or, or at least like nothing he's done in the last two years has indicated that he is. I, I got, I was speaking to someone on Twitter about this and um, I looked up his stats, the reverse cumulative average measure on uh, Crick Info. Um, Bairstow has averaged 27 with the bat since 2017, which is like sub, sub, sub par. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He's been given every chance. He might get in at number eight with that. He's not, and it's not even like he's always been wicketkeeper. He has had games where he's played as a batsman and that has contributed. He's got a massive technical flaw whereby he can't hit the ball if he's bowled at the stumps. And everyone knows about it. It's probably, it's probably the most internationally known flaw in a test batsman's game. 
<laughs> if you just bowl at kind of middle and off, you're going to get him out. It doesn't have to be middle and off. Just bowl at any of the stumps. And he, <laughs> he'll eventually, like, do it five times, he'll fuck one up. Um, <laughs> so, Max, you're obviously the wicketkeeper of this podcast. Um, so there's what, four candidates in that 30. Where, 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 where's, your, uh, where's your head and heart swaying to? Well, my heart's obviously with Ben Folks because he is the wicketkeeper of the bunch. Uh, as people tend to agree, he is the best with the gloves. Um, Besto really wants it, but I think I agree with you guys in that he probably doesn't deserve it. I had a quick look at the sort of the stats and averages and things for for Butler, Besto, and folks. So I think are, well the three that are really you know in contention. Yeah, Bracey um, seems to be there. He's kind of along for the ride. Yeah, and you know it's good to get get another another man around the squad, but I think realistically you're looking at the three who've got the experience. And, well, I mean, in terms of the batting averages, uh, Bairstow outdoes Butler by quite a long way overall, although, of course, if we're talking about recency, he's, he's not done so well, and Butler was the highest averaging England batsman, I think, over, over that period where we were really struggling. And, but I was looking at sort of the stats that we've got in terms of dismissals, you know, catches and stumpings, and in line with sort of the numbers of games they're playing, they don't really say a lot, mm. which sort of brings me to wonder, A, how much it really matters anymore, as long as you've got a vague level of competence. Mm-hmm. And secondly, what the best statistics to actually judge a wicketkeeper by are. I mean, I, I wouldn't suggest that a number of buys is particularly enlightening because especially in test cricket, you know, if you let through 34 buys versus 30 buys in a game where the opposition are scoring 350-400, it's not going to change a game, really. But it would be nice to see stats on missed chances, which don't seem to be recorded officially or exist particularly well, so this accessibly is, anywhere. There's some good points you come up with there, Max. Actually, um, one of our future guests, who isn't the big surprise that we're going <laughs> to reveal later on, um, Jared Kimber, who like some of our listeners may know, uh, is quite well involved in, in the stats side of the game. And, and he's pointed out a few times that effectively cricket just decided 100 years ago not to measure fielding stats <laughs> and has stuck with that ever since. Um, I know that the... So I've been, I, I've, I've been reading around this a little bit more. I know that the ECB, or, or English cricket, the English testing in general, they pay Crickviz. They're basically Crickviz's biggest customer. And Crickviz do have... Um, a couple of measurements, one about wicketkeeper efficiency or something like that, and one about fielding efficiency. So, And that is, they are somewhat comparable. So obviously the wicketkeeper one compares wicketkeepers, and do they, how many chances do they take per difficulty of chance or, or whatever, um, and, and like whether they prevent buys. And then the fielding one, it compares fielders in similar positions when the ball's hit at them. And, and they, mm-hmm. they used Hawkeye, basically, to map out like a, a, a rough um, fielding metric the problem is that we don't know how they do that and there's a big there's I have a lot of criticism having read around how um, Critfiz do their business I've got a lot of criticism for their metrics in, in that they're not really peer assessed it's just what they say is good or not and actually one of them did talk tweet to it you know in a back and forth tweet exchange went into the wicketkeeper thing in a little bit more detail and their wicketkeeping measure uh, metric doesn't even account for whether the wicketkeeper is standing up or not. 
So you have to ask some serious questions. I mean, Bairstow said, according to the stats, I'm a really good wicketkeeper. Yeah, he did. If that's what the stats, stats are, what we're stats? looking at. If the, if the wicketkeeping metric doesn't even account for whether the keeper is standing up or not. Yeah, that's not like, good. It's very hard to say. That is not good. It's, wor- it's worth anything. It's probably worth more than like just looking at catching and stumpings. Um, but uh, I don't... I feel like they must. They, that that's something they probably need to improve. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think you're right. Do they have yeah. the all-important Paul Nixon stat of how good he is? That's a good point. I don't think they do. Um, I think on on, on Bears as well. I mean, like using just the eye test. Because I think this is probably the, the one of the interesting talking points. Uh, using just the eye test, folks looks like he's the best wicketkeeper of the bunch. Um, and he looks like he's a capable batsman. Um, and I, and I think, like, maybe crucially as well, he's three, he's three or nearly four years younger, I think, than Bairstow. So if you're looking at who might realistically be a wicketkeeper for the next three to five years, so you're thinking, like, two, maybe three Ashes cycles here, I feel like he should, he should be the number one pick at the moment, I, I feel, based on his age, based yeah. on what his, my, my perception of his ability anyway, and based on the fact that the last time he did it, it didn't really do a bad job. I mean, I think his hand got busted in the West Indies and he couldn't really bat, so he, he ended up jettisoned. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, folks yeah. for me. I think that's fair. I think another thing possibly to point out with folks is looking at the balance of the side. I mean, if we're going to say, for the sake of argument, that we pick our strongest batting lineup. Or what? Well, not the, I don't know about strongest, but you know the classic one you'd expect, which may involve Stokes, Butler, in the middle order, possibly even Moeen Ali coming back. Ben Folks is, I would say, more of a a solid grafter, build an innings kind of player. Will get stuck in, and I think one of the issues England have had recently is quite a lot of players who will perform really well when you're on top of the game and we'll take a game away from a team but with the exception of maybe Stokes in the middle order will not dig you out of a hole so well and I think Folks has shown in a couple of his innings for England um, and also playing for Surrey that he's got the ability to do that so I think that's worth considering and then also going back to just how much importance we place on one one day cricket if we are going to go down a route of having two squads then Butler and Best they were pretty indispensable to the one-day team, if you are interested in that, or at least the limited overs team with T20s. Well, I think, but, um, I think but, we'll but, probably find by the end of it that Archer will play in the test and then we'll get towards the end of the year and we'll go, oh, Archer can play in the other games as well. <laughs> I think Butler's the interesting one for me. I just dropped my pen there. Um, but around... Butler's in the key... is in the position at the moment, right? So they have to justify to Josh Butler of going, you're going to get dropped for the yeah. other keeper. And I just don't think England selectors have the bottle to do that. Well, in, uh, this is another interesting point. According to the, the England team, don't use batting average or run scored as their metric. They use weighted batting average, which takes into account the pitch and how good the bowlers were. And Butler consistently does well on that. I, I don't know. It must be quite weighted, is my, <laughs> is my assessment of, of that particular stat. And, and again, we don't know how it works, really, because they don't tell anyone because they're a business and they, they want to keep that well effectively their intellectual property secret um but um i i i I think it's pretty easy to drop justify dropping butler i don't think he's done anything good for a long time well there everyone has it kind of uh, the cricket podcast heart says folks but our head says it's going to be butler Um, i don't know my head says folks as well i don't think it's not a heart i think if you pick butler 
you're willfully making a bad decision. <laughs> um, I don't. And, I don't and is that something that's new to that. uh, to the England cricket setup, Jack? Or <laughs> um, everyone knows Johnny Besto is Joe Root's best mate, and that's how he still hangs around like a bad smell. Uh, anyway, we can't talk about that forever. Um, spinners. So Max, you mentioned that Mo and Ali has come back into the fold. Yeah. Uh, We've also got to choose between Jack Leach, Don Bess, Matt Parkinson, and Adam Verdi. Um, what, what, where are we thinking there? I mean, I think Verdi's probably there along for the ride. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah, like Bracey, but good, good bit of experience. They've picked everyone. Um, Parkinson's interesting. Like he's been around the squad now for the last year or so. Um, the next spinner from Lancashire. We're playing at Old Trafford, which I think counts in his favour. I still don't know what he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Who is he? Uh, uh, and so, and Old Trafford's typically spin friendly, and you probably want two spinners. Um, I think a big part of this is that Joe Root might not play in one or two of the games because of the birth of his child. So actually, we're not even going to have a backup spinner because oh, you don't count Denley as a Sibley. spinner. Sibley and Denley bowling some leg spin pies. If, if that happens, if they're bowling in tandem, something's sort of seriously wrong. Look, Roston Chase took eight for. Let's not forget that. Yeah, but he did it against England. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Not for England. <laughs> uh, then you've got Don Bess, who's um, in pole position, as he was uh, played very well in South, Af- uh, South Africa. Um, and then you've got Jack Leach, who is our number one spinner at the moment. Um, but he's not very well, and he's probably not going to last throughout the, every single test match, um, the fitness and whatnot. Um, and then obviously Moeen Ali is back for test consideration. So uh, what, what are you thinking here? I mean, personally, I'd like to see Mo, Mo and Ali back in the test team. I don't. I think that they will pick. They'll try and get Mo and Ali back in because he can bat. Um, yeah. England, England, effectively have three number 11s. And this is probably why Porter didn't actually get picked because he's worse than all of the current bad batsmen we have. <laughs> so we'd have, if we pick, if you pick Porter, you're downgrading already a pretty weak tail. But Anderson, Anderson, Broad, and Leach really can't bat. Yeah, um, and um, oh, there's, there are there are England fans <laughs> shouting you for saying that about Jack well, Leach. It's true though that he can't. Like, he, I mean, Archer can't bat. People say Archer, he says Archer he, he, really he bat, says he can yeah. bat. I have not seen him bat well once for England. So that's you potentially have like eight, nine, ten, and eleven all week. Yeah, you're you're lucky if you're getting twenty, twenty five runs. Yeah. Out um, it, whereas it, Mo and Ali solves that problem a little bit. You can bat an yeah. archer at nine, which is probably a little bit more realistic. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, Broad's good for a quick 20 once a year, isn't he? Um, and, and, and that's it. But, so I, I think you're possibly right. I, I don't think, I think Leach is maybe a better bowler, but I don't think he is by miles a better bowler. You don't think he's much better or, or you know, there's, Enough of a difference to justify having another genuine number 11 in there. He might not even be better, to be honest. It's just like my general sense is I mean, that... Bess can allegedly bat a bit as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean his um, pair in the last test match says it speaks volumes of that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we were there were discussions about him being in there for his batting as much as anything, or not as much as anything, but, you know, it sort of gave him that edge. Well, and then he went and did that. If you're picking a batting spinner, then I think you pick Mo and Ali. I think yeah. he's a be- he's a Agreed. better bowler than Bess, and he's a better batsman than Bess. If you're picking just the better, if you decide you're going to just pick the best specialist bowler, maybe you take Leach. Um, but that's probably quite close as well. Uh, oh, but yeah. I think it's between those two, really. I mean, I don't I don't see another one enters enters the frame really. 
Well, so this, this is my thing. So there's a number of considerations here. So the Joe Root, we've already talked about who might miss out. So there's a lack of spin back up. Um, the pitches are typically spin friendly that we're going into, regardless if they've had cricket on or not. Um, and then there's also about the management of our fast bowlers. So as you said, we've got what set of six test matches in seven weeks or whatever it is. Um, how often do you think that they're actually going to play Archer, Broad and Anderson together? Um, well, I, yeah, I don't know. They'll try and do it all seven times, probably, won't they? <laughs> but um, uh, well, Woods in Woods in the mix as well, isn't he? I, and I think, blokes, of course. I think you you you're probably you probably pick one of Anderson and Broad. They won't do that. If I if I were in charge, I'd pick one of Anderson and Broad. So I think they're basically the same bowler. They're probably about as good as each other at, at this point in their careers. Um, and then you can take one of um, Wood and Archer as well, and um, one of Wokes and Curran, and one of Leach and Ali. And you can mix like, through some rotation. You can probably give them all a bit of a game. Um, I don't know what England would do. That, that would be how I would look at it. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's going to be interesting, I think. So uh, is, there any, is there any other kind of selection, Alex? We've got, I mean, you've got um, Zach Crawley. Um, Burns and Sibley all vying for those opening positions. I don't think any of the other batsmen in the 30-man squad are going to be in contention for that. Unless no, Bairstow is going to be played as an opening batsman. <laughs> Crawley, <laughs> Crawley will definitely play when Root's not playing. I think that's probably... Yeah. Yeah, I, I think probably will. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I, like, I don't think Crawley did anything to like threaten um, Joe Burns' return. But I don't Joe think Burns, he did Rory, 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 Burns. Rory, Rory Burns, sorry. Um, but, uh, so I was watching the test this week, so I've got Joe <laughs> Burns on my mind. Um, uh, but I also don't think Zach Crawley really did anything to justify being picked if there are any better options available. No, I think I mean, he's, he's about sort of, as good as Denley, isn't he? So yeah, far. It's just he younger. came in, <laughs> he did a bit of a job, didn't set anything alight, but yeah. wasn't terrible. Yeah, you'd like trust him to look after your cat, wouldn't you? But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. but you wouldn't ask him to find you a new one. <laughs> uh, good. And then in the middle, we've obviously got Root, Stokes and Pope. Yeah. So, um, who are our three best players in that position. Well, that's one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so, so, hold on. so what does this make the 11 then? Should we just run through that quickly? Uh, yeah, so so the, the, the game one 11 here. So assuming there are no injuries in the first match, who do you think England will, or who would you put out on the field um, for game one? So I, I, th I think they're going to try and stick to like the kind of tried and tested. So I've got written down here, um, Burns and Sibley to open up. Yeah. Denley in at number three. Yeah. Regardless if I think you should be there or not, they'll pick <laughs> him. Um, Agreed. Root, Root at four, Stokes at five. Pope at six. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe the other way around, those two. Um, Joss Butler, I think, will get given the gloves. Um, Moeen Ali at eight. Joffre Arch at nine. Broad, 10. Anderson, 11, is what I think the first game will be. I think that's pretty good. I, I do think they might take folks over Butler. Yeah, um, that would be my only change from that. That's that's what I have written down. And obviously, obviously as we said, if Root's out um, with the birth of his child, then I think uh, Crawley comes in and maybe bats three and Denley four, something like that. Yeah, the, only, the only other thing I can think of is if, if they do pick, if they have to pick two spinners, it, it changes the whole kind of the whole nature of that side. I don't think they'll do that. 
I mean, I, I think I think there's I think the other change that I would consider is Anderson or Broad for Wokes. Yeah, and if you want to bolster the batting two. a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't. If it was an Ashes test, I think you might risk Addison and Broad um, as the best, maybe the two best players in the England team at the moment. But um, I don't. It's it's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so why why ruin one of their careers potentially by making yeah. them bowl hundreds of overs? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, I, right. I think it would be safe pair of hands for the first for the first um, first test. And then it'll be a case of going, right, fitness-wise, using the sports science, using their weird stats machines, and then coming up with some different plans. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, is that, I think we've, we, we, did, we did quite a lot on the England team there. Um, yeah, I think we've covered all the, all the so bases. Anything else left? Or should we um, move on to Shane Dietz and, and Vanuatu cricket? Yeah, I think it's time to hear, hear from the man about his uh, endeavours in the Pacific Islands. Today we're with Shane Dietz, uh, CEO of Vanuatu Cricket and ex-pro for South South Australia side, uh, the West End Redbacks. Um, Welcome to the show Shane, Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, just just to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, um, Shane Dietz has been a bit of a journeyman in cricket I guess over the years, Um, started in the New South Wales ranks in the lower under 17s, under 19s, second 11 etc. And then got on a plane, went to South Australia, had a crack there and did okay for about 10 years. Um, and then, yeah, got into coaching while I was still playing and then got offered a job over in New Zealand to coach. And then it's gone from New Zealand to Bangladesh to Vanuatu. And here I am now as CEO, probably my first real job ever. Uh, avoided <laughs> real work for a long time, but unfortunately it's caught up with me. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. We've got you on basically to talk about Vanuatu cricket. For people who've listened to the show every week, you'll know it was final day on Saturday. Uh, me and Ross talked about it a little bit on the last show. Um, Shane, how'd it go? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, um, and thanks for being supporting the, the Vanuatu, Betbata Vanuatu Blast for the last few weeks. Yeah, it was an exciting uh, time for Vanuatu to get this opportunity and it'd been great. It'd been sunny for weeks and weeks, and then we've had about 12 days of non-stop rain, except for the days we played cricket, which was unbelievable. <laughs> so over the moon about that because I was stressing out about the weather because our covers are, you know, just a bit of plastic we bought from the hardware store. Um, so we needed something good, and the weather come good. We could dry it out enough to play really in the game. And, yeah, the boys put on a great performance. We had a huge local crowd. Uh, around the world, they got great reception and the finals went well and, you know, all the teams were really evenly matched and the team was probably struggling a little bit in the competition, come good on the last day and took it out, the Afira Sharks, so that was a bit of a surprise. I felt a bit bad for the mighty Fate Panthers, so they played really good cricket over the whole period of time and, uh, but that, the Sharks come and took the final day and that was really good to see and, yeah, no, it was all in all a fantastic success. Great response around the world and you know, likes of you guys promoting it and others around the world really really helped us a lot, you know, pump it up and get Venawata cricket on the map, so to speak. 
Yeah, no. Um, well, no problem. We enjoyed it. Um, it. You mentioned it was the maybe one of the weaker teams. It certainly wasn't one of the weaker players. Is it Napico with the with the heroics on the on the final day? What did he score? Sixty five runs in the two games. Took four wickets and a run out. Yeah, a super talent. Obviously, he's uh, our new captain, national captain. He's twenty three, maybe twenty four now. He's played a fair bit in Australia. Uh, around the traps uh, in Brisbane, Melbourne, and done really well. Really exciting player. He, he made a great 90 against Oman, who Oman are in light around the World Cup uh, mm. mark now a few years ago. It was one of the best innings I've, I've seen. And he's, got, he's got all the talent, bats, bowls, fields, exciting player. He's the type of guy, if you're an English cricket, you'd be picking him up straight away. As he'd be an absolute gun pro in England. So he can do everything. He's a good fellow and... Yeah, it's an exciting talent, and he's got a big future still ahead of him. So, uh, Jack, before, before we go on to the next one, yeah. uh, how did you get to the point where you called one of the teams empty balls? No, I just couldn't get my head, just couldn't get my head around yeah, that one. Let's just approach that straight, head on. <laughs> well, it, all the teams are amalgamation of the clubs, and they're Melee and Tafia. Mm-hmm. Melee is sort of the biggest club here for a long time, so they really wanted their name first. Mm. So it had to be Melee Tapia, and they're called the Melee Bulls, so they really had to have the Bulls in there too. And they bring the big crowd, so we had to sort of give them the title of, uh, yeah, Empty Bulls. <laughs> you have to make, you have to make uh, the best of it and make it a bit of a laugh, so that is that. That's great. Thing. Yeah, it was quite amusing. Glad you found it funny. <laughs> No, he certainly did. That was uh, that was that was about fifteen minutes of one episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Shane, how did you end up involved in Vanuatu cricket? So you, you, you've talked a little bit about, about your playing career, um, but you've been you, looking at your your, your backstory. It looks like you've been there for a few years. So um, try and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I went to coach the Bangladesh women's team in 2013, it was. Um, and that was till the end of the 2014 T20 World Cup. So I was there, I was in Dakar coaching them and no one really knew what was going to be happening in the future. So I didn't want to hang around Dakar, even though it's a great place, a lovely people. I thought I'd have a little break from Dakar to see what's going to happen. And my wife is Dutch, so I went back to Holland for a bit and... Um, yeah, then we're just looking online and Vanuatu uh, high performance manager coaching role was advertised. So I just applied, did my interview from The Hague in the Netherlands and got the job and flew to Vanuatu as a high performance manager and head coach. That was in 2014. And I coached them for four years. And I think, um, you know, four or five years is a good time to move on as a coach. You're probably sick of hearing my voice. And the, the guys needed something new, I guess. And then I was thinking about leaving and looking at other options. And then the, the board uh, invented the CEO, CEO position after a, um, a review of the board and the whole system of the All-Venomata Cricket and how to go take the, the association further. So they offered me the role as the CEO, which, yeah, I haven't done it before. So it's a bit of a risk on their behalf. But, <laughs> you know, I was, yeah, I thought, why not give it a shot? And, um, yeah. It's been two years and they've been really understanding and I've been trying to develop myself and do all the skills as a CEO should do. And so far it's been going pretty good and the reports, they're, they're pretty happy. So fingers crossed I'll stay a bit longer and we can keep developing cricket for the people of Vanuatu. 
Yeah. Um, what's um, what's cricket in Vanuatu like at the moment? What's the what's the skill level and like, the infrastructure um, around the game? Because it's uh, it's a long way away from the UK. We don't. I don't think many of our listeners will know that much about Vanuatu. But is it an island nation basically? Um, yeah, there's 83 islands, and a lot of them don't have inhabitants there. So it's pretty it's pretty remote. Really, we've only got cricket in the main Port Villa, the main capital, which is on the island of Ifate. It's one of the teams that's called Ifate. Mm-hmm. Um, the population around here is about 20-odd thousand, uh, and that's pretty much what we picked from. We do have other islands which we're developing cricket, but that's at a, a quite a lower level. They don't really have... We have one other ground on, a, on an island called Santo. Uh, besides that, we don't really have any other grounds. So it's really coming from this area, and it's come from our schools program, which we've got an intensive schools program, which has been going for about 15, 20 years. So we go over 100 schools. Our players are full-time, and they do the school visits part-time and train part-time. So the school program is big, and that's what gave us a real good base to, I guess, launch a good high-performance program. Um, but say so there's no, not much depth. So the players are the difference between the national players and the guys coming through and the ones that play social is quite big. You know, all guys will buy 130 plus. And when they're coming up against a young, not old kid who doesn't really know much about cricket or a social expat, for example, it's a bit of a bit of a step up, so to speak. So. But the national team, men's and women, have really been um, in an intensive program for a few years now. And their level of play, I would say, short format would be county seconds, definitely in T20. Um, a lot of guys play first grade. A lot of girls play premier and first grade in Australia. So that's about the standard of our play. I'm sure you've had first graders come over to England and play uh, club cricket with you, and you've seen that standard. So yeah, they're always very about- good. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're always just like, oh, we needed someone to be lead wicket taker and leading run scorer. It's just like, oh yeah, the, we've got our Australian winners. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah when they come sense. and turn up and play well, that's always a lottery. That... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that yeah. would be the standard of play, definitely. I would say, yeah, in short, longer two-day cricket, etc. We wouldn't be a first-grade standard in Australia, but uh, short format would definitely would push most uh, first grade teams and oh, I reckon close to county seconds in uh, England. Cool. So that sounds like um, it's reasonably high. Um, is that, so a couple of questions I suppose it was sort of wrapped up in one. Is um, is short form cricket the longer term priority for Vanuatu cricket and and, um, and what impact has uh, the, the T10 blast this year had on, on the development of, of cricket in Vanuatu? Is it... Um, do you, do you think there'll be a, a, a lasting legacy um, of this attention? Yeah, um, short format is for associates, really. The chance, particularly for someone like us to play a four-day cricket or test match cricket, would be very unlikely. And if you try to spread yourself too thin and try to cover all formats, you're probably going to you know, not be great at anything. So you really want to target 20-over cricket, get that skills, develop some 50-over cricket while you're doing that. It's really just an extension of T20. The skills don't change that much, so it's just a bit of a mindset difference. And if the Olympics one day hopefully will have cricket in, it could be a T10 format. So I think going, moving forward, the short format is definitely what you got what you got to target and develop your skills. And our guys are so athletic and talented and powerful and great but all that sort of thing, it's really going to be our strength anyway. And it's more fun, to be honest. I used to be a four-day player. I'd love to play T20 instead. <laughs> <laughs> the 
crowds back. Oh, we have big crowds just because it's 10 overs. It was so exciting. Um, so I think that's that's the way forward. Um, short format, definitely. And how the T10 Blasters have made a real big change for us as well because club cricket's not the strongest. We're usually over eight clubs, not three. So you can imagine that guy's filtered out to eight clubs is you know is quite poor at some times, and that's what we're trying to develop, obviously long term. But for this to have games under pressure being televised and shown around the world, a bit of prize money up for grabs, the pressure and the atmosphere within the ground was just like we do when we play international cricket. And our weakness is probably performing under pressure sometimes because we're not used to it; we don't get it regularly. So having this and be able to do it, we'll probably do it more regular now. Is going to get the big match temperament type thing ready for our guys, particularly our young fellas coming through, like Wesley Vera Lulu. He's, he had an outstanding tournament. He was player of the tournament. He's a young kid who really stepped up under pressure, and that's what we've probably lacked over here. So that's the biggest takeout for us from this tournament. And I think also just showing the world how much talent there is in Benalada and how much skill the guys, guys have. I think it was fantastic being able to get kind of the sponsorship behind the tournament. How, how, how important do you think um, kind of the change in attitude towards cricket is now in Vanuatu? Is it something that is going to go from strength to strength or is this kind of the stuff we're just going to do a T10 every year and this is kind, this is kind of it? Is, 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 there kind of, is, is there real passion for the game? Yeah, there is. It'll be the second biggest sport in Vanuatu after football, soccer. Um, and it's growing and everyone knows about Vanuatu cricket, but we can never play it at home because... Our facilities weren't really up to scratch for international cricket. We don't have a turf pitch, for example. So we played overseas a lot and everyone follows us, but no one really gets to watch us. So it was great to be able to play some decent cricket here. So that will improve things here and people watching it. Uh, corporate support here, there is some good corporate support, but to get overseas, that's a bigger market. And if we can crack that a bit more, which we're able to do with Betbata, and that's obviously a huge influx of cash, which we will obviously filter through all our programs and grow cricket in general. So, yeah, it's only a win-win for us. And yeah, that was, that's going to grow grow the locally or grow and get more exposure because we're shown live on local TV for the first time ever. Mm. Um, and that got to all the islands and different places where the people couldn't come and watch us. So that was huge. And say going to live stream around the world, you guys can watch it in England. is unbelievable. So... People know about it now, and this will probably lead in more players like Nala Nipico and you know, Patrick Montatava didn't have a good series, but he's probably been our leading player for the last few years. Mm-hmm. And now we get better opportunities overseas, hopefully crack a franchise, maybe the Pakistan League, the Big Bash, something like that. And if someone can get that, that's a life-changing contract. They'll be able to build a house and change their families' lives forever. So that's that's the the fire one for more of that. That's what we. That's what I'm here to do, mate. Help people change lives through cricket. Amazing. Um, so, kind of changing people's lives through cricket. I mean, you were a coach first. Um, what does your kind of coaching career look like? Sorry. Just what, you, up a bit. What, what does your coaching career look like? Who have you Who have you coached around the world, and kind of um, how have yeah. you brought that experience to uh, what you're doing today? Yeah, when I retired South Australia, I was lucky got offered a job in New Zealand cricket which was they put their central uh, New Zealand uh, academy, they split it up to all the associations. So they had a small one in each franchise, so to speak, and I got the job as the academy coach for Wellington and I've become the assistant coach for the first class team for five seasons. So that's where I started my coaching. 
and I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot there, and I really enjoyed the developing the young guys like Tommy Bundle just got in the test side. I got him as a 17-year-old kid, and now he was the shyest little kid that they ever met, and really inside, but now he's playing test cricket, made a great hundred against Australia. So that that probably gives you more satisfaction as a coach than anything else, and I really enjoyed that. Um, they say then from there for five years, I went to Bangladesh and you know, coaching those women was probably the most rewarding job I've had. Seeing where they've come from in Bangladesh and women weren't really allowed to play cricket 10, 15 years ago there. Mm-hmm. And then them coming in to play their first World Cup, which I was part of, was, was phenomenal in Bangladesh and it was a huge crowd. So seeing those girls develop and they won the Asia Cup a few years ago, it was really rewarding to see them do so well and I caught up with them in Melbourne at the World Cup this year and it's great to see their lifelong friends and that's why you get the coaching is you want to influence people and give them the same opportunities that I had to you know travel the world playing you know, the best sport in the world I've been so lucky and if I can help people enjoy that and do the same thing I, now that's why I got into coaching. So I mean you've clearly had some success going through your thing is there a, is there a philosophy that you do like follow is something that kind of works around the world or is it something that you adapt to each kind of team you go to? Definitely have to adapt. It doesn't change that much. Coaching women to coaching men. I did New Zealand under-19s team. did some New Zealand A and first class there. You definitely have to adapt. And you definitely need to use whatever local culture there is. Um, you know, you can't come to Vanuatu and be a hard taskmaster like you are in Australia. You gotta you gotta use what the the culture within the team and embrace that and still have certain perimeters and standards that need to be met. And same with Bangladesh, it was about getting the eye of the tiger from the Bangladesh, that's what we used to say. Um, but embracing what the local people have and using that to the advantage definitely. I'd say the other culture is trying to get uh, the players to take responsibility for their actions and their programs and give them a bit of a voice. Uh, old school was tell everyone what to do all the time, but now it's more asking questions and trying to get them to take the responsibility, ownership of their own games. Um, that, that's probably very difficult to do, but that's especially here and in Bangladesh, that was real tough to give them that voice. It didn't, the Bangladesh girls didn't expect to have a voice. You know, I said, no, you can, yeah, that's, your, yeah, that's your, your team. Make it your team. It's not my team. I'm just helping you play cricket. Make it your own team. So... And I've tried to do the same as that here. So that was, I'd say, is the rough philosophy. And pick the bat up high and smack it as hard as you can is definitely the other <laughs> philosophy. Don't go blocking it. I, I suppose I've got sort of one, one further question around coaching. I, I don't know, it was certainly in, in the teams I grew up in, whether there was that much of a coaching, uh, coaching culture. Um, I, I don't even really remember having a coach until, well, uh, after the age of about 13. Um I think my question would be like, what what do you see as as the, as the role of a coach in a cricket team? Because it, I think even at an international level, they don't get a huge amount of coverage. It's not always clear what they do. Is it? Are you looking to help people with their mindset? Is it purely technique, or um, what, what what do you think? Yeah. I think it's different for everyone, and everyone needs a. As you say, I agree with you. I grew up and the coaches were just sort of coming into the game in the mid nineties into Sheffield Shield cricket round then. Um, but I, th- I think it's different. Everyone needs something different. What I've noticed as a coach is so many different personalities and so many different ways of communicating. 
But your role is to get the best out of the players and then for the team to have success. And ultimately, that's why you, know, you lose your job if you don't have success. And if the players don't get better, you probably lose your job as well. So, but it's, yeah, I, I did a lot of work in, in New Zealand and like coaching someone like Grant Elliott, who I coach a lot, is so, so different to coaching a couple of players that played with him in New Zealand and same team. So it's, it's just a, the uniqueness of each person and trying to work out the best solution for that person and some people they think if they're doing if they're not performing well it's a technique thing some think it's a mental thing it's probably a combination of both all the time but what makes that person tick and will get them ready for each game and preparation for each game is probably the other thing that the coach is important to set the environment so you can prepare to have success on the field sure yeah i think that's that's really interesting especially when you think i thought in this country we get a bit of a, a moniker of teach you know teach by numbers from the book from the playbook do things as you're supposed to they always talk about the mcc textbook so uh, interesting to um to hear about yes. it from a from a different point of view but um sort of moving on from coaching now into uh, your your playing days before before the coaching um you had as you mentioned first up a pretty decent first class career at um South Australia for for around ten years was it? So we just ten years, yeah. Yeah, which is we just wondered uh, if you could sort of tell us a bit about that and how you found playing first class cricket in Australia. Yeah, well, I don't want to be one of those guys that says back in my day it was really really good. But I'm you, back in my day it was really really good. <laughs> well, I guess I was lucky to play that era where Australia was pretty much, yeah invincible nearly and that obviously filtered down to first class level and I played with Darren Lehman who only played 20 odd test matches and yeah, he asked Elisa Warney and that is one of the best players I've ever seen he was phenomenal just mm. absolutely phenomenal to watch um, each team had fast bowlers bowling mid 140s all the time it was super competitive um, yeah that was probably the, the greatest highlight to know that in that era I was able to just survive. I got dropped, I think, nine times I counted over my <laughs> career and one day career. So I was always on the fringe. <laughs> so, yeah, I think my fighting spirit kept me alive to, to a certain degree. Um, but, yeah, that was probably the greatest thing. You got to play at all the, the great venues when they still had a bit of um, uniqueness about it, like at the Wacker and the Gabba, unbelievable quick bowlers to face there then. Go to the SCG, Turning Square, Adelaide Oval, a bit the same sometimes. Um, so that was really that was really good. But yeah, I think it just come into being professional as well, and so everything was changing from sort of the old beer after every game culture to whole professional. That was really interesting to see the difference. Yeah, I remember Darren, Darren Lehman's uh, when he retired. He said uh, when he first started cricket, it was beer on ice. Now it's players on ice, and that was probably. <laughs> A great way to sum up his 20 years, and that's what it was. He used to come off training and be, you know, he said, beers, you have beers during the week, and Tuesday, Thursday after training, and then obviously after each day's play, then by the you know, early 2000s, it was completely different for the better, I think, too, um, and the better the standard. But yeah, I think just all that change, and then T20 come in at the end of my career. So the whole transformation of cricket in the mid 90s to when I finished and being able to adapt was probably really interesting to look back on and go, uh, cricket changed so much in that period of time. And as I say, 
the chance to play against Gilchrist and Hayden and Lee McGrath, Warney, all those guys. They're once in a generation players, some of those guys in place. And to get to play against them, to be on the same park is something that was really, really cool to be able to experience. Do you have any uh, memories in particular that you look back on fondly from from those from those days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably just. I remember when we played Warney. I wasn't batting at the time, but got a kid named Cameron Borges was batting, and Shane Warne was at the peak of his career. And he was at you know went out to face one of his first balls, and Darren Berry said, yeah, "It's like a virtual reality game, mate, for you out here." Eh? And that's what it was like. It's like you watch these guys on TV, then you're playing against them. <laughs> and so they're like superstars. So that was really an unbelievable experience. Watching Darren Lehman bat and being at the other end was phenomenal. The way he just took the mickey, I will say politely, out of the opposition. <laughs> Some of the best bowlers in the world, and they, they just couldn't bowl him. That was phenomenal. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's so many, so many memories. Um, is, is there anyone that you uh, was really funny? Was there, any, was there anything on there that you kind of go back and be like, do you know, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen on a cricket field, kind of thing? Or is there any good stories around it? So we, we, had, we had a good one about Mike Hussey the other week. Yeah, no, some of the sledging was phenomenal. <laughs> oh, we love a sledging story. Please, oh. please go on. <laughs> And I used to cop it more than anyone because you're not going to sledge Lehman or Blue or those guys because they might just make the best 100 ever. So I was always a punching bag for most teams. And um, so I copped them more than anyone. Then they, after a while, like, Lehman just says, mate, you just got to start giving it to everyone because they hate you anyway. So <laughs> I just ended up there. I remember we played Langer and he just retired from playing for Australia and they had a big... Ceremony walked, he did a lap of one on the SCG, then he had to play poor South Australia at the Adelaide Oval next next week and obviously we just gotta give it to him, mate. So I just had to go out and and give it to him and uh, he probably wasn't too happy. <laughs> I didn't make any friends, but I had to take it for the team. I think that's why I kept my spot after time. <laughs> he he seems like the most intense bloke going. I watched the um, the test on Amazon Prime. And Langer comes across as the most intense bloke I've ever ever looked at. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, it's pretty intense. I haven't watched that yet. It hasn't arrived in Vanuatu. So <laughs> but no, no, he's pretty known as that. And that's. I, guess, I don't want to spoil it, but Stokes makes a century at Headingley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what made him play good, though, is intensity. And you got to find what makes you fire in the middle. Um, but one other funny story, I think it's on YouTube as well, and this is why I think I did keep getting selected. Um, I used to probably take a shine off the new ball for Lehman to come in and smack the best hundreds in the world because he probably didn't like the swing new quicks. We played North Sydney, I played New South Wales, and they had McGrath, Lee, Bracken, the full strength, you know, Steve Walmart, well, all those guys. And it rained all week. The Shield game didn't even... Yeah, we had four days of rain. We didn't bowl the ball. And then we played this green seamer at North Sydney Oval. We lost the toss and had the bat first. And the instructions were, Lehman can't bat till like after the 10th over. So I go out. I just got to get to the 10th over and then basically throw my wicket away. <laughs> so Buffer can come and make 100. And it worked perfectly. I got out. <laughs> bracket after about 11th over. He come out made an unbelievable 100. We won the game. And he got man of the match. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> mate, I should have got man of the match. I could have blocked him for 50 overs. We would have lost the game and made 100. But 
I let him come in, mate. Under he probably I used to do that. I used to get through to lunch break every time and then play something stupid and get out and he'd make a hundred or so. I reckon <laughs> I was definitely his fall guy for many years. <laughs> so um so you you spoke some about about your batting there, but um also you were a wicket keeper in your playing days and we spoke recently with Jack Russell, which was uh phenomenal for us, really interesting. He had yeah. a lot to say. Um, we were wondering, I, mean, I suspect I know what your answer might be, but we did wonder what, who you think the best wicketkeeper you've ever come across is. And, and Just before you answer, Shane, Max is, yeah. a left, Max is a left-handed batsman who's also a wicketkeeper, so we're going to dub him the <laughs> next Shane Dites. Yeah, 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 go for it. Yeah, I have. also. He has to change his hairstyle a bit. He hasn't got the bullet going like me. Under the roll-on deodorant style. Um, Yeah, no. Well, you reckon I know? So I don't really want to say him because I used to have so many battles with him. But Darren Barry is the best keeper I saw. Definitely. Uh, His batting was terrible. I can say that. He was a phenomenal wicketkeeper. Oh, standing back, standing up. He just never missed him. He was so competitive. And talk about sledging. He was the number one sledger in Australian cricket for that period of time. Bar That's none. a bold statement. Yeah, no. <laughs> he, knew, he knew everyone's batting average at club cricket. You know, who was behind you? Like, if you don't get runs today, D-Day, you got this guy's just made 120 in club cricket. Like, he knew everyone. Everyone's stats for every club cricket in Australia. It was phenomenal. And he really got under your skin. So, anyway, unbelievable government. I think international cricket, you'd have to say, Healy was sort of my hero growing up. But what I witnessed live, it was, yeah, Chuck Berry, Darren Berry was unbelievable. Brilliant. Uh, well, that's all the Max questions we have. Max is pretty good as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw, so last year, I played with Max. I saw Max try to slog one. His bat was too heavy for him, went over his head, and he hit his own stumps. That's that's the level of talent you've got on this podcast. It's, it's not that guy that's on um, Facebook everywhere and he falls over and hits his stumps. It's not you, is it, Max? <laughs> no, mine's funny. Like he's got like the, end of the, soft, the hockey helmet on or something. <laughs> I think mine was better. <laughs> I genuinely think I was better than that. Classic left-hander thing. He's more cultured than he is. Um, Shane, thank you ever so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, That's all our questions we've got. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to say about Vanuatu cricket or or anything like that? Or should we wrap up the show? Yeah, no, I just probably want to thank everyone around the globe has messaged me and followed uh, that part of Vanuatu Blast and know more about Vanuatu now and now we've got a great facility set up we're open for tours to come to Vanuatu I want the Barmy Army next time they're in Australia for the Ashes to come take on the Vanuatu national team there's no way they'll beat us so Barmy Army if you're out there next time in Australia it's only a few hours on the plane come and take on the mighty Vanuatu boys you've got no chance Oh, the MCC, we played them already, MCC. We beat them easy in London one time. But if you want to rematch the MCC, come out. We'll take you on any time. Um, all of the clubs in Australia have already challenged them. So I'm sure we'll get a few people over soon. Like I say, the Holiday Inn is our major sponsor. Beautiful resort right next to the ground. It's fantastic. So cricket tourism's open. I'd love to see some English clubs tour here if they ever go to Australia, but particularly the Barmy Army, we'll take them on. We'll take them on in the seeking contest as well. 
Love it. <laughs> Love it. Well, Shane, thank you ever, ever so much for joining us and uh, all the best with Vanuatu Cricket. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Max. It was a hit. Cheers. Thanks for the time and really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you. That's in the air. Should be taken. The World Cup for Australia. When World Cups come around, you've got to play your best when it counts, and we've managed to do that. Thank you very much to Shane for joining us on the show. Um, obviously, really, really interesting, and uh, it's a great story. And we hope that Vanuatu cricket goes from strength to strength. Um, you can find them on Twitter. Um, not sure exactly what you search for, but if you look at the Cricket Pod, which is ours, um, you'll be able to find them. So, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Shane. It was really, really useful. Um, now we're talking about um, what next, Jack. Well, we did, we did promise people at the top of the show that we would reveal the big news. Um, and Max, as the person who's been called out most in the reviews, I, I, I feel like we should let the listeners' favourite reveal something that will definitely please the listeners. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's very kind of you, Jack, uh, to allow me the honour. And, and it really is an honour um, because next week we will be talking to former England captain, former and possibly future famous broadcaster and one-time biplane pilot david gower <laughs> yeah it's a, it's, it's a bit of coup isn't it lads I, oh it's 100 percent. yeah yeah i mean when yeah. jack says it might be the most exciting thing that he's done or the best thing he's done in his life i think i would probably have to agree <laughs> i i can't think of anything that tops that and i've been on tv yeah yeah you're on turnable um what, what well, I saw... oh, gone. So I know I was going to say I saw the world premiere of the first Harry Potter film, and it's better than that. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I spoke to him on the phone. It was, it was, yeah, it's 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 I I I cannot wait. Um, what I would urge you to do is if you if you want to ask David Gower a question, um, we can be the conduit for for that question. Um, so let us know on Twitter or email us uh, thecricketpod at gmail dot com. Uh, and, and we'd be more than happy uh, to do that. If you've listened to the show, you'll be one of the first people to hear because this is going to go up. We won't tell people on Twitter um, until we've, after we've recorded the interview. So you, you're getting a, you're getting you're going to be able to sneak it in early if you uh, get in touch soon. Yeah, we're, we're, talk, we're talking to him on um, Wednesday evening, and what I like about that is I'm going to get myself a bottle of wine in, and I'm going to sit, and hopefully he's drinking wine as well. And I'm just <laughs> going to be there. I've had some wine with David. Gower. I, yeah, I, I'm. <laughs> Fully hoping that we're going to have a piss up with David Gower. <laughs> the, the quality of the podcast might go downhill, but we'll have a great story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, um, we shall uh, come back quickly after this break um, with some more cricketing stuff. Yeah, I still can't get over David Gower coming on the cricket podcast. Uh uh, maybe I never will. Maybe this is this is this is yeah the high point. Um, back to matters at hand, though. Uh, this week in Wisden, uh, a, a guy called Nick Holt wrote a fairly amusing article summarising the birth of the hundred. And we love um, to have a chat about the hundred and the ECB, don't we? So, would you like to quickly run through the best bits from that article? Would yeah, I, I ever? I, I, w- I would love to. The hundred has been a bit of a car crash, isn't it? And I'm, I just, it's, it's something that you just can't take your eyes away from. Yeah, so I, I, there's, I'm, I'm going to try and stick to the bits of the story that we've not covered already. Um, 
but like, I'd urge you to go and read the article. It takes about 15 minutes. It's not that long. Um, anyway, thing, first thing I learned from the article, uh, it was invented by the chief commercial officer who just came up with it from the sounds of things. Um, and then in true, true ECB style, um, gave the presentation introducing the 100 at a five-star golf resort in Spain. I don't think I've heard of anything. <laughs> <laughs> why, why was Andrew Strauss and um, Tom Harrison, etc., at a five-star golf resort in Spain? So you know when um, we initially this... took the piss out of it and called it El Hundredero? Yeah. <laughs> not, not too far off the truth. Um, there's the second thing, and I think basically this all comes down to money, and that's the, the sort of thing of the argument. Um, they, Colin Graves, um, the outgoing chairman of the ECB, there's a few like choice quotes in there um, that give you an indication of what they're thinking about. Um, again, in true ECB style, they, they've realised that the they invented t20 and failed to make any money from it um so what they uh, i mean it, almost word for word what he says is if we do the properly we'll have something unique and that will be worth a lot of money they're trying to make t20 cricket again that's quite fun yeah um and pretty stupid i think <laughs> you have to say overall um and i think the kind of third Good revelation from this. Do you know? Do you know the so the the reason the way they justified it to the counties um, was by valuing the T20 blast and the TV deal that you could get for a revamped two division T20 blast. I don't know how much you two know about TV rights, but what would you guess a two division T20 blast would be worth per year um, for like Sky? How much would they pay? Hundred million. No, Ross. Um, it must be less than that. It must be like forty million, something like that. Well, so they, the ECB asked Deloitte, and Deloitte said it would be five million. Wow. <laughs> um, so they they then asked Deloitte, "What would the hundred be worth?" And Deloitte said thirty million. Um, and then the ECB <laughs> imposed. The- Honestly, I'm a management consultant, and I know exactly what they've done there. So I, I, re- I reckon someone. I know Joe. I reckon someone has put the fucking decimal point in the wrong place. That's what I reckon. And someone's just got. Oh, we're not backing that. We're not backing down now. Yeah. Well, if that is what's happened, the ECB got everyone to sign a non-disclosure agreement and got everyone to agree that they wouldn't ask for a second opinion. So we'll never know how they came to those numbers. Or or be able to re- review them again. Um, yeah, I mean, it goes on, doesn't it? This is sponsored by Peanuts. They didn't hire any English coaches. Gary Kirsten sent the wrong tweet. Wellfire's logo looks like it's something from a far-right rally. Um, nobody bothered to sign Chris Gale. when that, that was like the main thing someone was supposed to do. Uh, yeah, you know, um, 100. Read that article. It's, it's very good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anything to add, fellas? No. I mean, I'm I'm just gutted that it's not going to be on this summer. If I'm perfectly honest, I was really yeah. looking forward to it. That was supposed to it was supposed to start in a, in a week or so, wasn't it? Or <laughs> two weeks. What a shame, eh? What yeah. a shame. Yeah. Anyway, um, correspondence. Have we correspondence. got any this week? We have. We've got. We had. A, we had, a, we had a, a little bit of a glut of correspondence. Um, we'll start with Paul Griffiths, who's uh, basically Boy. like the. The podcast equivalent of a debentured season ticket holder now, isn't he? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he asks, will we play any Sunday Village games this year? As a yes. member of the SAGE committee, Ross? Yes, I believe so. I think it's, I think it's looking likely. I think the, the, the UK government's decided that 
people are expendable um <laughs> and we're the show's going to be on the road um the only thing i, I would say uh that it might not happen till august because it would be quite embarrassing for the ecb if paul griffiths and we were playing cricket and the counties weren't yeah <laughs> so that, they might have to wait another month but, um, <laughs> um we had another one from the, the fat cricketer um, do we think the ECB pushed county cricket back to August to furlough players and stop themselves from going bust? Well, get, cutting right to the heart of the issue, I think. Um, I think that's a really tough one, actually. So when it comes to um, county cricket, we know that they're kind of, what's the word, pretty hard up for cash, I think is the nice way to put it. Skint. A lot of them, Yeah, a lot of them are skint. And, uh, but I do think that if you had cricket going and there was an ability to try and get some money into the door I think they'd do it I think they would, they would bring it back today if they possibly could do I don't so think you, it'd be yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of I can see his point but I just think if cricket was a could start to like today they would have done it I mean you yeah. could also yeah. say that part of it was the plan to get the test series done because they've got you know two of those grounds are locked up for the mm -hmm. test games and that yeah. might have been factored and obviously you can go and play at your secondary ground or whatever but there's a lot of work to do to set up the regulations and whatever you you know you're disinfecting and things so to carry that out at two different places might be a lot of work for individual counties so perhaps that was factored into it i'd imagine there's a lot of things at play um there's, and, there's also that bit of going no one goes to watch county cricket anyway so yeah. you're sit, sitting there going oh we have to pay some more wages it was just like okay well fine you would be doing that anyway so yeah I'm not completely sold it. Fair enough. Um, and then the final one that uh, I've selected for this week uh, comes from Prashanth Sones. Um, should so this is an interesting one actually. Um, should the England v rest of the world series in 1970 be given test status? So people who don't know, in 1970, uh, England was supposed to tour South Africa, or South Africa was supposed to tour England. Um, the sanctions were imposed on the well, a racist past by the South African government and the series didn't take place. So England invited a rest of the world 11 to come and play. The rest of the world won 4-1. Um, and at the time they were played for the tests, but later the ICC ruled that they were only first-class matches. Um, should that be revised? Make I mean, sure if it's a stickler it's... for the rules, don't you, when it comes to stats? <laughs> well, it's test-level players. I'm happy to call it a test match. I mean, who decides yeah. anyway? Like, what's the? It's I think the ICC. I think the ICC players, you know, are officially in charge of um, of, of, of adjudicating. Um, so England this week did say because the fiftieth anniversary of those tests, they did say that the they gave out a cap to a bloke called Alan Jones who only yeah. played in that series and never played again. Um, so the, he became player six hundred ninety three or something like that. Um, interestingly, did you know if, um, if if they were given test status at the moment, England are joint record holders of the longest unbeaten streak in test history, um, which went from 1968 to 71. Oh. Um, if they were given test status, those five matches, even more, England lost four of them, so they would no longer be joint record holders. Uh, who would we be ceding that title to? West Indies in the 80s. That's fine then. That's yeah. fine. I mean, it was <laughs> I mean, either them or Australia, wasn't it? If it was Australia, yeah. no dice. No dice. Sorry. <laughs> the, the, legitimately, though, the 1968-71 England team were good. England won't ever be that good again. Um, that, was our, that was our golden generation. Couldn't beat the world, um, though. 
but yeah, so like I'm sensing that people here don't really care whether they're going to stay. Yeah, no, I, I don't particularly care. And I, I just kind of think if it was played as match-quality players, why would it not be a test match? Sure. Um, quick reminder: if you if you want to get in touch with any questions or if you've got any stories, um, the cricket at the cricket pod on Twitter or the cricket pod at gmail.com. Uh, and to grow the audience, make this bigger, make this the leading cricket podcast in the world. Um, tell tell your friends. Yeah, when, um, when we share it on Twitter, when we share it on Instagram, just retweet it. Yeah. Uh, any anything else before we wrap up, boys? No, just to say that I'm buzzing to speak to David Gower. Yeah. Or, oh, it's, yeah. but but also time interviewing Shane Dyke. So much for coming on the show. Yes, definitely, <laughs> I, I agree with that. Um, can I leave you? I did. I forgot to read this this quote out, I and mean, this is this is peak Colin Graves from uh, the ECB here. Um, did I have you heard this quote? Well, I don't know what the quote is. <laughs> well, so it, would have been, it came out this week, and, and everyone was laughing about it on the internet. Um, I don't think so. No, I think it's a good thing to end on. Uh, this is what this is what he said about getting the counties to agree to the hundred. Um, in quotes, I never threatened anybody, but I said. If you don't support this, then you're going to have a problem because going forward, I cannot guarantee you anything financially. <laughs> I think that's a threat, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that is a threat. That yeah. is a threat. <laughs> uh, cheers, cheers, lads. Good podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. The Cricket Podcast. I think it should never be permitted to happen again. That is very good.